Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Many of our investors have been obviously extremely concerned about rates at the moment and are not getting the yield that they need from their cash portfolio and are being forced, whether they like it or not, to move up the risk curve and looking around the market for things that offer them yield. They're also looking for some kind of capital exposure, but relatively defensive. So people are really having to think about their portfolios differently and very much having a lot of interest in REITs not for the first time, uh, real estate in- investment trusts, I used to call them listed property trusts, so I always fall over it, uh, feel like I've been around a long time, have been in people's portfolios for a long time. But thinking about property in this environment, particularly post-COVID, is really complicated for a lot of people. And a lot of investors are trying to understand where they sit in the portfolio and how they minimise risk in a pretty complicated environment. To work through some of the more interesting issues and what the outlook looks like for REITs, I'm joined by Jonathan Krisker, Portfolio Manager at Charter Hall, and he's going to talk through some of the different issues that they're facing into uh, with investors in this space. Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. Good morning. So, Jonathan, do you want to talk about the kind of portfolio that you manage and what you've been seeing, I guess, over the last 12 months? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we run a fund called the Charter Hall Maxim Property Securities Fund. Uh, it's an unlisted uh, trust which invests in listed uh, A REITs and, and property-related securities. And, and I guess, you know, for, um, for investors, in some ways it's similar to a, an equity fund, but what we do is we just keep it property-related. And if you think about sort of the major sectors that are out there, you know, obviously you've got cash, equities, bonds, but property is, is, is also one of those key sectors. Um, we generally aren't talking about residential property. We're generally talking about commercial property when we talk about the A-REIT sector. Uh, and so traditionally that has been all about uh, office, retail, industrial buildings. But in, in, in recent decades, that that's evolved to include things like service stations and childcare centres and storage facilities. Um, so for us as a manager, we, you know, we look at a lot of those spaces. Um, we actually believe that some of these alternative sectors have got a, a lot of merit to them. Uh, and we, you know, we feel we've got uh, a, a key sort of information arbitrage in that space. And we've been investing quite heavily in those for quite some time. It's quite an interesting one because a lot of investors who've been around for a while and held... LPTs, as we used to call them, listed property trusts, or who've invested in unlisted managed funds uh, over property, so they're not going directly into a residential property, and they probably can't afford to buy a direct commercial property themselves, and so they've bought on market uh, or bought an unlisted managed fund, would be familiar with the idea of buying effectively into a fund that owns one big office building, for example, or maybe a handful of big office buildings. But you're looking at a much broader range of things now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, one of the major reasons you go into commercial property, whether it be an unlisted syndicate or a a listed REIT, is is to pick up those um, levels of income. Historically, commercial property has been uh, about delivering consistent high levels of income with a bit of capital growth, which is almost different, the opposite to what you get from the residential market where the, the rental yields aren't very great, but capital growth is, is, is paramount. Um, so when you're investing in these vehicles, whether they be listed or unlisted, you're, you're really trying to get some income. And I think given where uh, you know, interest rates and bonds are at the moment, in a relative sense, commercial property really looks good. And, and, and obviously 
We've seen a lot of investor demand uh, in this space over the last sort of five to 10 years as interest rates have fallen, uh, and that's bid up the values of commercial properties. So um, just turning back to the A-REIT space, so, so the A-REIT space really gives you a liquid uh, version of that that you can trade on the ASX and get in and out quite easily. Um, and historically, as mentioned, you know, most of what was on, uh, on menu was really about owning office buildings, shopping centres or, or large industrial facilities. Um, but there's been a real change over the last sort of 10 years with what we call alternative property sectors now moving uh, to further close to the core and being much more prevalent. And if you look at the, the REIT market in the US, actually these, these sorts of sectors are far more commonly invested in than they are here, but um, they are becoming more prevalent. And as a result, you're starting to see the relative valuations between these alternative sectors um, sharpen versus the core sectors. And at the same time, also many of them have got great themes back in them. So if you think of something like, for example, uh, storage facilities, there's a lot more apartment in a city living at the moment. So people might be, you know, there might be a baby boomer downsizing. They don't want to get rid of their stuff, so they, they, they put it in the storage. And so that's creating outcomes for that type of real estate uh, in terms of positive rental growth, um, high occupancy levels, and, and also, you know, good capital growth. So if we think about this sector um, or this cycle, uh, some of the best uh, increases in asset values in commercial property have actually occurred in some of these alternative property sectors. I think it's really interesting because, you know, certainly when I first started in the industry, it was a really narrow field. There weren't a whole variety of different things you could invest in. The whole concept of storage facilities would have been extremely modern. Uh, <laughs> I feel so old when I say this stuff. But it just it wasn't, it wasn't widely held, uh, certainly wasn't widely known about. You were just sort of buying into one or two things. So What's most interesting about what you're discussing is the idea of diversification within property, which is not something that we're particularly great at in Australia. We buy one house and that's pretty much what you're exposed to. Uh, so yeah, the right. idea that you can get a wide variety of different exposures to different types of property is pretty awesome. It leads really nicely into the next question though, right? So what have you seen in all of these different sectors over the last 12 months? COVID impacted so many things, but you've mentioned retail shopping centres. Uh, they were hit really hard during COVID and would have been the sort of thing 15, 20 years ago if you held a REIT would, or an LPT would have been in there. Storage facilities, uh, industrial warehousing, all of these other things. So there's so many different things that have been impacted. Can you talk us through what you've seen? Yeah. Um, obviously, 2020 was a big year for, for commercial property, for, for, for a multitude of things. But um, maybe just first touching on share price performance and what we saw in, in the early days. So obviously, the market corrected quite heavily back in sort of, uh, you know, February, March. Um, so what we saw uh, with the REIT sector is effectively values halved, whereas in the broader market, uh, they only fell down by about a third. So the REIT's actually overshot to the downside. Um, and the, the, the main reasons for this were that um, the sentiment which was surrounding particularly regional malls and, and, and the office sector, um, and those two sectors alone make up you know, half of the of, of the A-REIT sector by market capitalisation. And at that time, the government came out with special legislation called the Code of Conduct, which was um, really about protecting small businesses and giving them a bit of a rent holiday. Uh, and if you think about, okay, um, 
you know, who were the who was really mostly impacted by this? If you think of your average, say, Westfield shopping centre, while there's some big tenant names in there, there's a there's typically a long tail of small businesses whose balance sheets probably aren't that great. Uh, and, you know, those malls were closed for quite extended periods of time. Um, and, you know, had they not had that code of conduct, I think some of those businesses wouldn't have made it out the other end. Office was a bit of a different scenario because typically you're starting um, tenant sizes a lot larger, particularly when you think of the REIT sector, which has got some of the best buildings and best tenants that you can invest in. So we're not talking about small office buildings in, in you know, in the back um, streets of, of North Sydney. Um, but what we saw through that period is that rents will continue to be paid by these tenants. But it was more about the sentiment um, because everyone was sitting at home, working from home, and everyone was sort of scratching their heads and saying, what's going to happen to the office market going on from here on in? So so that was kind of the early days. And then we – but, you know, if you, if, if, if you look at the REIT sector and you just strip out the discretionary – malls, the performance of the REIT sector was more or less broadly in line with the broader market. So those malls really held everything back in terms of the overall performance. And this is obviously the problem of looking at sort of indices because they they do average things out. You need to dive a bit deeper. And then if we turn to, you know, some of these alternative property sectors, you know, on average, they probably only fell about 10 or 15%. you know, also if you look at sort of the broader equities market, there were winners and losers in that too. So tech went gangbusters, so did healthcare, but then, you know, energy and typical industrial companies, they went backwards. So that was the early days. And then we had obviously the, a very sharp bounce back after that. Um, and look, you know, fortunately from our perspective, we were very underweight malls through that period. So it really helped our performance. We did quite well relative to the index. Um, but so the, the, the sector now has bounced back somewhere in the order of sort of 65% and the broader market's up 55%. So REITs have actually outperformed on the way back up but because they went down harder on, on in, the, in the initial period, they're still lagging about 15% below where they were pre-COVID, where the broader market's more or less in line now. Um, and if we think sort of through that period, uh, some of the things that sort of happened to REITs. So in the early days, we saw broadly a lot of the, the REIT managers remove their previous guidance around earnings and distribution. Um, we saw some dividends cut, mostly for the regional malls. And, and in some instances, they just cut their divvies altogether. Uh, and then the, the, the difficult thing for investors and uh, through that period was when COVID sort of really kicked in, it, it sort of happened after the February reporting period where you, and the next reporting period was in August. And you, you, that's when you really get to get under the hood of a lot of these businesses and find out how they're really going. And so the news flow wasn't great through that period. Uh, and and like many managers, we were sitting there and trying to sort of work it out. And I mean, fortunately for us working for Charter Hall, we've got great intel in terms of commercial property and what's going on. So we're able to use that, that, that platform to get us a very strong view on sectors. Um, but the news really, when we looked at reporting season, was very much that malls were suffering. Typically, they were only collecting about half their rent. Uh, their asset values had already fallen about 10% uh, and they were cutting their distributions. And if we think of office, well, rental levels were more like about 95%, so really not that impactful at all. Values fell probably about 1%. Um, and, and then if we look at a lot of those alternative sectors or the industrial sector, barely impact, any impact at all. In fact, some of those sectors were going, still going forward. And, and, and so lastly, just as we closed out the year, um, we had in general equities, broader equities market, we had a, 
a big swing towards the value trade. And what that essentially meant was that um, some of those bombed out sectors, you know, think of things like Flight Centre or Qantas, those stocks which had been hammered very hard. Investors looked at those valuations and it came off the back of positive news around um, uh, vaccines, you know, Melbourne opening up. A US election had now been out of the way. So everyone was starting to feel a bit more positive about the world. And they're thinking, hang on, these stocks look really cheap in a relative sense versus you know, your tech stocks. And and likewise in the REIT space, you know, those, those laggard discretionary mall landlords had just, you know, which had been decimated price-wise, looked too cheap. And so they had a big catch-up. And, that, and that's sort of how we closed out last year. So how are you feeling at this point in time? Feeling's a strong word, but how are you looking at the different sectors. It's terribly interesting how it's played out. One you've mentioned is childcare. I'd love to know your thoughts on childcare if you're happy to talk about it because it also had very strong government support, the sort of stuff that the government had clearly ruled out ever and then did a massive turnaround and went, we're going to pay for everybody's childcare. So we have free childcare for three, four months during COVID. So all the COVID, all the childcare centres didn't go under but then when they stopped it, they also, I don't know if a lot of people picked up on this, got rid of JobKeeper for childcare centres. It's one of the very few sectors where they said, we're not giving it to you, which I thought was an extraordinary decision. Um, unusual. Let's call it an unusual decision to exclude one sector from getting JobKeeper back in July last year. And so there are news stories about fewer people sending their kids to childcare. Have you seen any impact on that one at all? There's a lot to say about childcare, and it's it's worth remembering in, in this context that Scott Morrison actually used to be the minister, which, you know, among other things, included childcare. So he knows this space uh, inside out. Um, it's a sector that we've liked for a very long time. Uh, and if we go back, you know, well before COVID, we were investing heavily in. And, and the theory really was that um, childcare centres have evolved dramatically um, over the last 20 years, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they were more or less glorified babysitting, um, uh, you know, sort of places. But now it's all about early learning and kids being much more prepared when they hit primary school than what they were. I remember my daughter when she, one day she came home and she saw a spider and she said, Dad, that's a redback spider. And I said, how did you know that? And she said, we, we learnt that in, in, in daycare. And so I was very happy that our <laughs> money was well spent. But I'm, I'm digressing. But um, so what's been happening in childcare has been that we had a bit of a baby boom in, in recent times. So we've had more kids in that zero to five cohort, but also the proportion of those kids going to childcare has been larger as well. So that has, has that, that means that there's been a lot of demand going in and supply has been not really keeping up until the last sort of couple of years because those who got long enough memories will remember the collapse of ABC learning centres and that gave banks a bit of a tarnished view as to lending on any form of childcare and more so at the operator level, but it did sort of transcend towards the development of new childcare centres. And so that put a break on, on, on some of the uh, supply. Uh, and, and so we could sort of see these sorts of trends playing out uh, at the operator level. And so groups like G8 were driving their daycare rates at sort of 7% per annum. But the landlords who had fixed leases... Uh, we're only sort of generating two, three percent rental growth, and so we were saying, okay, when when are these market reviews coming through? There's going to be a big bounce in in uh, in rents, and that's exactly what happened. Um, 
And also, interestingly, we're seeing, you know, the, the private investors, the, the, the sort of the wealthy private investors in the old days who would have bought maybe a strata office or a shop, sort of one or two million dollars. You know, this cycle, they've been buying service stations and childcare centres with their ears pinned back because of the similar parcel. But they can see these these long leases, you know, which are underpinned by good tenants. So that's been a good thematic. And then obviously we came into the COVID period and, and you know, suddenly everyone's working at home, you know, homeschooling. Um it, it's been very challenging to sort of follow this specific sector because the, the goalposts have consistently moved. Um, but look, I think, you know, in a nutshell, the way the government both, you know, that is bipartisan support here, they're very supportive of childcare because there's a multiplier um, if, they, if they can get both parents to work, female workforce participation rates up, it has huge impacts on the productivity of the economy and the ability to to accumulate further taxes. So it's a um, it's a sector they both want to support and you can see that in terms of a lot of the policy changes they've done. So we think long term that 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 paradigm has not changed. So we think as a sector it's got it's got some good legs going forward. Um, I might might just touch on some other sectors um, as well. So so you mentioned malls before. So um, yes, malls have done it pretty tough through COVID, but for us we were very underweight malls coming into COVID. And, and so the, the, the reason for this was that we had spent a lot of time um, watching what was happening in the growth of online retail. And, and we felt that as that sort of became a bigger part of the overall landscape, it was going to have a detrimental effect uh, to, to, to traditional bricks and mortar retail, particularly, you know, sectors like, um, you know, apparel. And, and so online's all, obviously all about convenience, but also choice, you know, getting access to, uh, to, to products that maybe might be overseas or, or the like. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we did was we looked closely at overseas markets because, you know, in many instances, Australia is lagging uh, in terms of online retail and how much we use it versus some of these other countries. And for example, if I use the the, the market of the UK, what we were seeing there is the asset values for the large shopping centres falling anything up to 50% and rents falling up to 50%. Whereas that hadn't happened in Australia yet. We saw a bit of weakness in rents. So we we felt that over the next three to five years, there was going to be some, some roadkill going forward. We didn't, not necessarily the same, um, you know, sort of 50% falls, but we felt there would be some large falls. And so what COVID effectively has done is just bring that all forward in a very short space of time. So we think, so asset values effectively now, if we're looking at what's happening in reporting season right now, they're probably falling about 15%. Um, and we think by the time it's all done and dusted over the next sort of 12 months, they'll probably be down about 25% in Australia. And that's very different to a lot the view to a lot of the other sectors that we're seeing in commercial property. Um, I mean, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the industrial sector. So warehouses are, are almost like the new black. You know, they're always the poor cousin uh, versus office and, and retail, but now they are the most sought after uh, assets. And and you know, so while there's always one loser, the benefit you know, uh, there's always one who benefits from it. So everything that you buy online has to go through some form of distribution center, um, and 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 those owners of that real estate are really benefiting from that. And and this is a global uh, trend; it's not just happening in Australia. So we're seeing. Very strong increases in asset values, very, very strong institutional demand, uh, and we don't think that's going to 
you know, sort of stop anytime soon. Um, you know, so the, the big player in Australia is, is Goodman Group in, uh, in terms of the ASX uh, REIT sector. Um, that's our largest weight by far and away. We're very positive on that stock. Um, and we just think, you know, they are a magnificent business. They're a developer. They're an owner. They're a fund manager. They've got a global presence. They consistently drive superior growth in terms of earnings and, and, and assets. Uh, and we think they've just got a really good track record ahead of them. Um, we need to talk about office, obviously. I'm uh, dying to know about your thoughts on office. Uh, and I've talked about this with so many people because I find everyone's got a very different view on it. Um, what's most interesting is I've had a couple of guests in a row who've had a view on office and they're completely contradicting each other. Um, so I've talked about this before, but Alan Oster, who's NAB's chief economist, and I, I want to remind people that banks do have unbelievably good data about property, right? Because we lend for it. So we're terribly careful about what we do. Um, so we've got good data. You guys have amazing data. Everyone's got their own set of data, which tells them what they need to know about the sector. So it's always interesting to see when you put all those different data sets together, what you come up with. So Alan's of the view that uh, CBD office they're not super keen on. He he was working remotely when we were having the conversation and he was of the view that the internet has enabled us all to work remotely and uh, the likelihood is that regional property will do very well and obviously the bank looks closely at residential as well as various types of commercial property. So he was very bullish on regional property and far less enthusiastic about uh, anything in the CBD. And then I subsequently spoke to Roger Montgomery, the fund manager, and he had gone back into the office with his team and was of the view that everyone is very keen to get back into the CBD because we're social creatures and we like to work closely together and this idea of everyone being disaggregated and working on their own is not going to last. So these views about whether this is a structural change or whether it's just a COVID thing can be quite disparate. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, it's look, it's obviously very topical. Um, there is a structural impact there, no doubt. Um, I think it's far more somewhere in the middle. And if you think about um, I mean, there, obviously there's still a lot of people working from home and so that has tainted people's view. But so while COVID has given people a bit of a, 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 an idea of what it's like to work from home and, and, and maybe change their perception about that and maybe some employer, employers as well, um, there's many businesses and many employees who need to work in a collaborative environment. Um, and I was thinking of, you know, the, if you think of sort of many salespeople, Trying to do a deal over Zoom or convert a new client is very, very difficult. Um, you know, so it really needs to be face to face or or over lunch or over a beer or whatever. Um, trying to train young employees, those in their twenties, um, you know, so they need to be side by side, you know, with the older heads learning. Um, you know, what, what the job's all about. Trying to create corporate cultures, that's very difficult when everyone's, you know, away as well. Um, but I think, look, you know, for, for a long time now, we've actually been moving more to the, 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 the best-in-class employers have, have been working more to flexibility with their, with their staff, and I think this is just another step of that. Um, but one way to think about this, I guess, is that, you know, there's been activity works work based um, 
uh, hot desking has been in play for quite some time. And so you're seeing a lot of the, and, and that, so that's, re, you know, shrunk in the demand for, for, for office space. Um, but now I think given, you know, concerns around social distancing, we're going to start to see that all sort of diminish and fixed, fixed desks go back. And I guess the way to think about it in terms of numbers, you might have, you know, five staff who, who might've been sharing three desks and now, okay, the five staff each have to have their own desk and maybe they work one day a week. So mathematically, it probably doesn't change things that much. Um, and so, you know, if we look at what's actually happening in physical markets at the moment, it's probably more about traditional old cycles that you see in office. And let's remember, you know, we've just come off the back of a really strong cycle, particularly for the CBD in Sydney and Melbourne, where we had ultra low vacancy rates, really strong rental growth and really strong capital growth. Wasn't the same in the sort of the resource related states of of WA and Queensland and South Australia, but we're seeing those improve. And it's likely, you know, the biggest impact here is just more a cycle sort of kicking in. Uh, So we are seeing vacancy rates rise, but nothing dramatic. And we're seeing, you know, um, some of the incentives lifted as well. But interestingly, we're not seeing much movement on capital values. And, um, uh, you know, part of that obviously is, is low interest rates, but but also if you think about, you know, the, the global money which comes into Australia and, and, and buys office buildings, and, and that's obviously has a, you know, relationship with the assets which are owned by the REITs. Australia as a country has done exceedingly well in terms of COVID. So if you're the, you know, the Canadian pension fund or the, or, or the or the, you know, the, the Norwegian sovereign fund, you'd be scratching your head and looking at Australia and going, wow, that looks fantastic. If we're going to invest some money and we're going to put it in office, well, Sydney and Melbourne, you know, or Brisbane, they're the places we're still going to invest into. So I don't think, um, you know, necessarily this is the end of office. This is obviously it is sentiment wise, it's, it's suffering a lot. Um, and you're seeing that in terms of the, the REIT space, but I think, um, we, we just need to get through this next 12 months when, you know, once you know, vaccines are distributed and we're kind of getting back to normal so we can really have a 100% view as to how it lands. But, you know, ultimately we don't think it's the end of the world sort of stuff. I think that point about how Australia's fared with COVID is incredibly interesting. I was talking to someone, I'm sort of switching to Resi and a whole lot of other things uh, that will be impacted by this, but I was talking to someone the other day and saying, if you were hoping to emigrate from your current location, right? You have decided that you want to move somewhere for your children or whatever. You would look to a couple of countries around the world. One would be New Zealand and one would be Australia where you go. Life is pretty good. Ironically, I heard a Brit say, yeah, but we can travel wherever we want. You're like, well, sure. Half your age population's not doing too well, but you can travel. (laughs) I found that quite fascinating. And this guy was saying to me, when this is over and emig- you know, immig- immigration sort of takes off again, you can pretty much name your price in Australia. So he was of the view that we will see very high quality migrants and a lot of competition to move to Australia when things open up because we've had such an extraordinary experience here, right? Like everyone's been very healthy and very safe. Can't go anywhere. But it's a big country. You can move around the country as long as you don't want to go to Queensland or WA. Um, so there's been a bit of that. So it was quite an interesting view. Um, and his, his view was that Resi will do unbelievably well off the back of that because a lot of migrants coming to the Australia and population growth will drive residential property prices. Um, the other issue, though, is interest rates, which we haven't – you just alluded to it a moment ago. But how is that impacting prices at the moment? I mean – it's certainly impacting what our investors do because they can't give their money in cash anymore. And so they're looking for 
other asset that obviously has an impact on prices. Is it having an impact in the REIT sector also? I thought you were going to ask me about my outlook for the housing market. <laughs> you can um, tell me about your outlook for the housing market too. Yeah, oh, well, okay, let's, um, I mean, just on housing, we're, we're pretty bullish on housing. Um, and we we think that, you know, if you look at uh, vacancy rates and, and rental growth numbers and um, uh, housing, particularly housing finance data, it looks phenomenal. And, um, you know, obviously these low interest rates are, are, are supporting that, but you might recall the, the the last boom that we had was actually curtailed primarily by APRA and and tightening the screws on on uh, on lending. So in the background, they've actually been loosening those up, and um, I think it kicks in in April where there's actually going to be a, uh, a a step change, which I understand could actually increase your borrowing capacity by about ten or fifteen percent. So that's a big one, um, and also we've just come through a period where a lot of people were living at home. Uh, and everyone's like, well, I need a bit more space. So this, this is not just all resi. So it's, it's more about houses. I think apartments will still struggle. Um, and also the last boom, while we had a, uh, a building boom, most of that, most of that supply actually, again, was in apartments, traditional house and land. The supply was still pretty, pretty moderate. Uh, so housing's looking really good. Um, immigration, I guess the question around that is when, when it actually opens up. Uh, so if it, you know, it doesn't open up for five to 10 years, that might be a little bit of a problem in then, but we actually think by then, you know, there'll be vaccines and, and to your point, the quality of, of, of immigrants coming here will, will be obviously very high, not to mention all returning Aussies as well. Uh, many of which are still stuck somewhere. So, so housing, um, is something that we, you know, we, we're very overweight on. Uh, one way we're playing it in particular is, uh, through retirement living. And again, it's another alternative sector. So we actually have a 10% weight in retirement living. In fact, we've got about a 22% weight in alternative sectors. Whereas if you just bought a traditional ETF on, on the, on the A-rate index, you're probably only getting about 5% weight. And so why we like seniors living is, is really about, um, this aging population that we've got. And um, a bit similar to childcare, you've got increasing numbers, but the multiplier of those people who are actually using uh, seniors living is increasing. So a decade ago, 3% of people in, were living in retirement village, the rest stayed at home. Now it's more like sort of, you know, 6 or 7%. And in the US, it's 10%. So we think those utilisation rates are going to continue and there's just not enough supply. So it's creating amazing outcomes for the real estate. Um, and, and the players who are listed who, who are in this space, they often are doing development to meet that demand. So they are also quasi players on the housing market. So we like those. Um, you mentioned, you asked about the, the outlook for, you know, for interest rates and, and the like. So, you know, sort of coming back out of holidays, I guess the sort of the most um, near-term thing that we saw in uh, in financial markets was the the word inflation, and we started to see bond rates tip up a bit. Um, and I guess the theory really being that you know it was looking like economies were going to improve, and because of the, the, the record levels of stimulus that had been thrown, both at the domestic economy but also at the US, would inevitably lead to you know some inflation. Um, and so, what typically happens in an environment like that? You, you get the long end of the of of the of the curve. Well, bond, you know, the ten year bond rates go up, um, and and first thing that happens is people look at interest rate sensitive stocks such as utilities or or REITs, and they they say, okay, well, it might be a bit more difficult for these stocks going forward. So we had a, so we had a little bit of underperformance in, in January in in the in the REIT space, but 
you know, I think a lot of that sort of initial theory has gone out the window now. We had the RBA come out pretty clearly. If there ever, ever there was a definitive message, this was it. They were saying, we're not changing rates until 2024. And even then, we need to see wage inflation. And wage inflation is anemic at the moment. And it was anemic even before COVID. So um, it, it, it seems like a long time before we're going to have the official rate go up and we're going to continue to be in this low interest rate environment for, for a lot longer period. Um, I think it's also worth considering that, you know, even when rates do start to go up a bit and let's say, you know, you've got to look at the relative yield that you're getting on commercial property versus, um, versus interest rates. So at the moment, the 10 year bond rates sort of around about 1.2%. It was about, you know, 0.9% before Christmas. Um, many economists are sort of saying it probably landed about 2% at the end of the year. I don't think that's out of the realms of possibility, but even at 2%, well, your average commercial property is yielding north of five. So there's a 300%, 300 basis point spread there. And it's likewise with the REIT sector, your average REIT is giving you a five and a half percent yield. So while in the short term, it might be a little bit negative for sentiment, once that sort of dies down, people then come back at this, you know, and look at the relative valuations of commercial property and, and, and REITs and they can see the value that exists there. So we still think we're in this great environment for commercial property and, and, and for REITs. It's a really um, strong argument. I was talking to one of our uh, sort of high value investors, a full-time investor the other day, and he made the point that the ASX 200 was basically flat for 2020, which is quite extraordinary really. Uh, from January to December. Uh, and there's obviously a yield on that, but it's like, you know, if I get nothing more than what the ASX 200 gives me, I don't eat. It's like it doesn't work. He just, he just trades. And, uh, and he was making the point that that search for yield really matters and also buying quality assets that are actually going to retain their value or increase over that time matters a lot. So one final question for you. 2021 is going to be very interesting, right? We were all thinking, there's a vaccine, hooray, we're all back to normal. And we're starting to appreciate that. Certainly for a lot of us, I think the fact that Sydney shut down effectively over Christmas, that we had border closures again, that we've had a few new outbreaks has been quite sobering. You know, you see this vaccine news, you get all excited and then everything, uh, you know, the virus is, is still out there and it's still uh, forcing us to reconsider our plans on a regular basis. So 2021 is going to be an interesting year for all of us. Do you have uh, any specific concerns? Are there things that you're bullish about even despite those concerns? Yeah, we're, we're very positive on, on, on markets um, and, you know, whether it be general equities or, or, um, or, or property. And, and I guess, you know, if you look at a lot of the stats which are coming out, whether it be retail sales or car sales or business conditions, labour market conditions, they're all showing you know, rapid improvement in Australia. Um, there's been obviously a lot of talk about what happens when government starts to remove, you know, things like JobKeeper and the like. Um, but some data that, you know, I sort of saw the other day in particular reinforced my view on this that, you know, from Macquarie equities and, and they were effectively showing that a lot of that's actually already come out of the system already. So we've kind of taken the hit more or less, uh, and the economy is still getting better. Um, so, so that, so that's positive. We think in that environment, um, you know, and, and improving sentiment, you know, we, we're going to, and, and low interest rates, we're going to see 
positive momentum for for housing, for commercial property, for stocks, asset related things. And it seems like we're back to you know the RBA saying, look, we're just going to let asset price inflation go at the sake of just trying to get wage inflation happening again. So. We, 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 we think that's positive. I mean, in terms of the A-REIT sector in particular, um, you know, we'll start to see, you know, dividends being, for some of those discretionary mall REITs, will repatriated again. Uh, we think the valuations in the sector still look really, really good. So your typical REIT, it's probably, you know, 15 times PE ratio versus 20 times for the broader market. So it's still playing catch up. Uh, as we mentioned, the yields are good. Uh, so, you know, 5.5% on average uh, is attractive. And and I think sort of that that value trade, or, you know, we saw t- towards the end of last year, there's probably a bit more left in that as well, which will benefit the REIT sector. REIT sector. Um, so we think ultimately, you know, there's a really good opportunity for REITs to outperform the broader market this year. Um, so we're very, very positive. We look across the, you know, the valuations and we, it, it's almost like you get these sort of, th- you know, these events once every sort of 15 years and, you know, you've really got to make hay while the, the sun shines. So we think we're at that sort of juncture right now. In terms of your concerns or questions around concerns, I mean, you mentioned it really, you know, we still are in a very uncertain times and we've not really experienced anything like this. And so, you know, things which could derail this or slow it down, I think it's more about slowing it down or really, you know, further outbreaks, um, more aggressive strains of, of COVID, um, you know, vaccines not working properly or maybe nasty side effects. Fortunately, it seems like, you know, I think the way we're managing that seems to be pretty good. Uh, some of the other countries are getting in there first and, 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 and being the guinea pigs. Um, uh, but but also I guess inflation is the other one you you know we, we talked about and, and and something that we keep a track of quite closely, but I think you know given what the RBA statements were around wage inflation in particular I think I think that that's not going to be a major issue going forward. That's a really positive note to end on. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's lovely for investors to feel that there's a lot to look forward to this year. Last year was a bit of a roller coaster ride, and a lot of our investors came out the other side going. I've done all right, but it didn't feel like it for a lot of that time. You know, like it was quite nerve wracking. Had to kind of hold on. And for anyone who wasn't willing to hold on, they did quite poorly out of last year, which was quite distressing. So for investors to have a lot to look forward to this year is really good. You guys publish a whole heap of great information. The brilliant thing about Charter Hall is you've got so much exposure across so many different things. I think the value of this conversation for people who are paying attention is that property is the kind of sector where diversification matters too. The idea that there are so many underlying sectors and a much broader range of underlying sectors than were ever really discussed when I first started in the industry is quite interesting for people. Where do people go to find more about your fund, about what you're talking about, the kind of information that you're putting out to uh, educate investors? Yeah, so a good place to go is our website, charterhall.com.au. You can see our fund there, um, get information. Awesome. Jonathan Kriske from Charter Hall, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we absolutely love hearing from you. We love getting your questions. We know you want to hear more about REITs, hence the conversation today. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth.com.au at nab.com.au.
Later this month, NabTrade is launching a new online learning tool for investing, NabTrade Academy. It's free for all NabTrade clients and you can join anytime. Designed to help you learn more about investing with courses from beginner to advanced. Learn at your own pace through dynamic and interactive learning experiences. Just visit nabtrade.com.au slash academy for more information on how to get started. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.